Well done, guys. That was incredible. Well done, Rebecca, for this week. Um, good morning. My name's John. Um, I just want to start with a little story. For, uh, uh, actually, Fran stood here last Sunday. And she shared last Sunday of how she suffered with PTSD for a very long time. It's an illness that has caused anxiety and fear to be a big part of her life. Not just something that occurs in soldiers, which is what I thought it was, but actually it, happens to, it can happen to anyone and really causes anxiety and fear to be something that they wrestle with on a daily basis. Well, last Sunday, as she stood here, she told us how the week previous to that, she had been miraculously healed in a time of worship. Uh, she was at the worship night, that monthly worship night that we've been hosting here in the evening. Um, and it was in that time as she was sat there, and she said she wasn't even singing along with the words. She was just listening, enjoying Jesus, uh, and really listening to the words of the song, that she felt something change. She felt something different and felt like God was at work. And last Sunday, she stood here and said, True enough, I've tested it for a week. My PTSD, this post-traumatic stress disorder, has completely gone. I've been healed. Amazing story, right? <laughs> Worth a round of applause. It's an incredible story of God's power, His kindness, His grace, His activity in our lives. And I just want to fill you in, actually, in some of the details that you won't know, some of the background to this story. So, two weeks ago on that Sunday that Fran was healed in the evening, in the morning I'd just finished leading worship here and I went home to have lunch with my family and I had a voice note on, a fr- uh, a voice note on my phone from a friend. Uh, on my phone, my friend explains that whilst worshipping that morning he had felt God speak to him and felt he had some encouragement for me. I thought, oh, that's really lovely, thanks mate. So my friend told me, and he said that, he explained that as we were worshipping Jesus, he, or as I was leading worship, he saw people being healed, and he saw people um, experiencing healing and God's Holy Spirit in their lives. That was something, a vision or a picture that he had um, as I was leading worship and speaking. I thought, wow, that's really encouraging. Thanks very much. Uh, I didn't think too much more of it. That evening, I led worship again at the worship night, and Fran came forward saying, I feel like God's doing something. I'm not 100% sure, but I'll test it. I'll wait a week, and I'll let you know on Sunday. And sure enough, last Sunday, God has healed me. What an amazing story, right? Of not only does God heal, not only is God involved in the healing and intimate knowledge of Fran's body and how to, what she's suffering, what she's dealing with, what, she's, what's, what her ongoing day-to-day life is. But God is able to do something about that and speak to us, speak through a friend to encourage one another. You've got two things going on there. God is speaking to a friend of mine and encur- using him to encourage me. The other thing God is doing is he's healing us and he's involved in our lives, which is miraculous. Nothing short of miraculous. And I tell you this story for two reasons. Two reasons I wanted to tell this story this morning. Uh, And it's this. This morning we're going to be looking at the necessity of Jesus' death and his resurrection. It's the single greatest weekend in history. The Easter story. The Easter event. 
life-changing, splits the calendar. And I want to put it to you that if you're investigating the claims of Christianity this morning, if you are looking in this morning, or even if you've heard this gospel a hundred times, I want to put it to you that miracles like what we've just heard, God speaking to people, God healing people, points to and is evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. If people are being healed, if miraculous events like that are happening, then it also stands to reason that the miraculous resurrection of Jesus Christ is also entirely possible. Do you follow me? If Jesus can be raised from the dead, miraculous as that sounds to you, then it makes sense that people would be healed. Yeah? So to look at it another way is, if Jesus has been raised from the dead, then you would expect him today to be doing much of the same thing as he did when he was walking on this earth. You follow me still? So Jesus' life, the three years that we read about in the Gospels, you see him healing the sick. You see him loving and caring for people. You see him directing and encouraging his followers. And it stands to reason that if Jesus is alive, he would be doing the same today. What we see in Fran's story is that Jesus is doing the same thing today. Sure enough, I believe that is strong enough evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. So we'll get into that in a moment. But the other reason I, I said I told you there's two, two, two reasons to this story. The other reason I tell you this story is also that um, I believe it's encouragement for us this morning to expect God to do stuff. And actually, we've spent the last 45 minutes, hour, seeing God move. And uh, it doesn't stop when the preacher gets up on the stand. In fact, I, I believe that God wants to heal people of any discomfort this morning, of any disease and any pain. And in a moment, I'm going to pray, and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and do that. And the other thing is, what Jesus does is He not only heals our physical and our emotional needs, He heals our humanity. He heals our human condition. As humans, we strive for significance or acceptance. And it may not feel like, oh yeah, I strive every day for significance, acceptance. That's not a sentence I've ever said to Abby. I'm really struggling today. I'm stressed out. I just want significance. That's not something I say regularly. But what I do look for is I want love. I want affection. I want to feel affirmed. I want to feel valued. And those are human conditions. And what I want to say to you is Jesus... The one who is alive is able to heal you and provide for and fulfill every one of your human needs. So, I'm going to pray, and I want, if you are feeling, like I said, in any way, in any discomfort or sick or this morning, I want you to expect that God can heal you, even as I speak. And, and if you are, I want to pray for you also if you're looking in and you're saying, is Jesus really able to fulfill all that you have just said? So I'm going to pray. And why don't you close your eyes and you can join with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit. You have come to live inside us. As Jess said earlier, we are now the temple of God. God lives in us. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and make us well. Come and take away our affirmities. Come and heal 
Would you build expectation and faith in this room for the miraculous? And God, if there's anyone here in this room who needs convincing of your life, your death, and your resurrection, then Holy Spirit, we ask you to do what I cannot do, that you would melt hearts, change hearts, and bring people to you. Amen. Amen. In Jesus' name. All right. So, lengthy intro, but as I said, we are going to be continuing our journey through the Nicene Creed. So, we are in, I think we may be in the fourth week or third or fourth week of the Nicene Creed, and it's this 1,700-year-old document, this 1,700-year-old declaration of faith, and we are now in the fourth paragraph down. So, it's going to come up on the screen. Uh, Let me just read it out. It says this in the fourth paragraph down. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. I'll read that one more time. For our sake, he was crucified. Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried And on the third day, he rose again. This sentence carries with it the very gravity, the very core of Christian belief and doctrine. If you take out any one of these statements, his death, his crucifixion, his resurrection, you lose the gospel entirely. It is not Christianity. If you believe that Jesus existed and that he died 2,000 years ago and was not risen from the dead, you are not a Christian. If you are someone who says Jesus was a good guy but not the Son of God, it's not Christianity. Christianity, these are the core beliefs that Jesus is the Son of God, that he did suffer and die under Pontius Pilate, and he was buried, and three days later he did rise again. That is the Christian doctrine. Quick question, shout out the answers. Imagine it's January, it's freezing cold outside, I'm a gardener, I'm very cold, I need a fire, what three things do I need to make fire? Shout out the answers. Fuel and heat, one more thing. Air, that's it, GCSE level question. (laughs) To create fire, I need air, oxygen, I need fuel, wood, coal, and I need heat. Without any one of those three things, I do not have fire and I stay cold. The gospel is that you need the death and the resurrection of the perfect one. They're fundamental. In Romans 10, now we're going we're gonna to base our morning upon this verse. This is going to be our core for the morning, Romans 10. In Romans 10, Paul says this. You're going to come up on the screen for me? I hope so. If you declare with your mouth, in my Bible it says confess. I prefer the word confess, but we'll go with declare. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let me read that again. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's worth noting here that Paul does not mention anything about how well you have to know your Bibles. He does not mention anything about how often you should be praying. 
He does not say anything about the state of your life. He says, confess with your mouth, declare with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and you will be saved. Only belief in the death and resurrection brings on this salvation. And this verse, like I said, this is going to be our hub. We're going to base this rest of this morning's sermon around this statement. Now, we live, we live in a society that has, as Jesus already said, distanced itself from religion, Christianity in particular, but it's become very snake-like. No, that wasn't the word I was going. Oh, <laughs> forget it. It doesn't matter. Suspicious. There we go. Suspicious. It's become very suspicious of Christianity, very suspicious of anything that tells you this is the way you should live. I saw a video recently where, some, where a friend of mine was interviewing random people on Eastbourne High Street. Just went up to people and says, uh, a very simple question, he says, why did Jesus die? And immediately people with the barriers, I mean, when you approach anyone on a high street, even giving out free chocolate, as you will have noticed on the Seaford Christmas fate day, it's impossible. You're offering me free. I don't trust you. I don't know where that chocolate's come from. It's in his wrapper. You know? And it's the same. We, my friend was asking these people, why did Jesus die? But what was interesting to me was very few people knew. In today's culture, I mean, I thought that was common knowledge. Very few people were able to answer why Jesus died. One lady replied quite venomously, actually. She said, well, it was, it was his choice anyway. And well, everyone dies. Interesting. So, uh, starting with this verse in Romans 10, we're going to work backwards and say, well, Jesus was died. He'd, he was dead. He was risen from the dead, but we've got to go, well, he was dead. Why did Jesus die? In Jesus' life, Jesus' life is characterized by his love. You read through the gospel accounts, and particularly in John's gospel, I found particularly helpful. Jesus says this, Greater love has no one than this, and it is to lay his life down for his friends. And in John 17, which is recorded is basically just hours before his crucifixion, Jesus is in this garden, and he's praying to his dad, his heavenly father, and he says this in John 17. I believe this will come up on the screen. He says, the, the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even as, oh, I've loved them, sorry, even as you have loved me. I'll read that again because I got that completely wrong. The world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And then later on, in the New Testament, part of the Bible, again, Paul writes this. 20 years after Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, Paul says, he loved me and gave himself for me. Now, I don't know if you know anything about Paul, but Paul is not someone who spent any time with Jesus. Paul was not among the 12 disciples. Paul, in fact, was alive at the same time as Jesus, but we find out about Paul when he starts persecuting the church, when he starts persecuting Jesus' followers. So that's when we first hear about Paul. And Paul is able to write 20 years after Jesus, after Jesus' ascension that Jesus has loved me 
and gave himself for me. I'll put it to you that for us, 2,000 years on, you are able to say that same thing. Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. If you can remember last week, Jez spoke last week and reminded us of this very famous verse in the Bible from John 3, 16. I'm sure every one of you know it. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And what we see is this verse corresponds to the last verse. He has loved me and gave himself for me. For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son. We see in Jesus his primary motivation for dying His primary motivation for the crucifixion is love. Jesus died because he loves people like you and I. Paul, who was around after the death and or became a Christian after the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, was able to confidently say, Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. And we are able to say the same. But Jesus died to heal this relationship between himself, God, and man. And we covered a lot of this last week. But in order to understand Jesus' death, we have to know how bad things have got between us and God. And the Bible used this word sin. Again, Jez showed us last week this word sin, an archery term, essentially to miss the target, to basically describe our condition before God. I like Isaiah's way of putting this. In Isaiah chapter 53, which is in the first half of your Bible in the Old Testament, he says this. We have all, like sheep, gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We have all gone astray. We have turned, each of us, to his own way. Now, I don't know about archery terms and sin. Maybe that's a foreign language to you. But you can certainly relate to turning away or living for your own self or going in your own direction as opposed to God's. I can relate to that. I spent much of my teen life avoiding relationship with God. I grew up in a Christian home and that was difficult, particularly in my late teen years, because I was constantly around parents who loved God and were talking about what God was doing. I never disbelieved in God. I believed he was there. I didn't want his influence in my life. I didn't, want to, I didn't want him to have say over my relationships. I didn't want him to have say over my desires. I didn't him, want him to have say over what I should do and what I shouldn't do with my time. I wasn't going around killing or thieving. Well, I, I wasn't going around killing. Anyway. <laughs> But as I've often said to uh, friends of mine who uh, I've been telling the gospel to, if you're going to talk about what's good enough and what's not good enough, at some point you've got to draw a line. When does good enough become not good enough? And if you're going to draw lines, that's very hard to do. What the Bible teaches us is actually the line isn't all there or about there. No, the line is way down here, and then you were born under it. The Bible says you've been born into this way. And we remember Adam and Eve. 
We'll all know about Adam and Eve. And the Bible teaches us that these are our representative figureheads. These are the figureheads of the human race. And our humanity is descended from Adam's humanity. And Adam's choice to turn aside, to go his own way, has affected every human ever since. It's a choice that separated Adam from God, and it continues to separate us from God. It's not that God's mean-spirited. It's that He's holy and that He is perfect. He's completely other and different from us. And the other thing is about God, He's also just. And we would want God to be just because we see a whole lot of evil and horrible things going in the world, and we want them to be sorted out. We find out in God that He is just, but being just, He cannot allow any form of imperfection to be near Him. And you may say, well, why did God make me this way? The answer is, in his wisdom, he gave you and I the ability to make our own decisions, unforced and uncoerced. And when we turn back to look at him, however briefly, what we see is he's been waiting for us the whole time. Arms outstretched, unwavering, steadfast love in his son, Jesus. What does this holy and just God do with my sinful choices? In his condescending love, he comes down and he takes them upon himself. Now, I'm going to need a volunteer. Rory, sorry, mate. Don't do this. Wow, you know what it is? It might be really good. Yeah, I might be giving away chocolate. Come on. I'm not. There's no chocolate. Just a bag of dirty washing. Yeah. Now, um, I've got, I, you'd be clear, you, you, Abby was very anxious about this. She's like, there's no underwear or anything in this there. <laughs> no, there's not. Well, there's my socks. Um, and, uh, but there's no pants in here, I don't think. I have been through this. Oh, there is. <laughs> we'll take those out. They're, they're, sorry about that. They're not mine, by the way. Um, we got some, some dirty washing. We've also got my work clothes which have a smell of that. Just smell it. Does that smell good? No. Right. Um, so, basically, I've got this bag of dirty washing, and I'm just going to do a quick illustration of what happens when we, when we look at Jesus on the cross. Now, my life is filled with choices that I've done not so well, things that I've done that have not gone so well, poor decisions that I've made, Choices where I have hurt people, choices that I've made that have dishonored people. And what happens is these choices and these things that I do, they make me unclean and impure, stinky and smelly. In fact, the Bible says that even our best, best decisions, our best, the best things that we do, they are like filthy rags. And I have plenty of filthy rags here. What Jesus does is he takes our filthy rags. And Roy, just stand forwards a bit there, but me. Thank you very much. And he empties them on the cross upon himself. Not much of that landed on him. There are some towels. Thanks, Roy. You can go and sit down. Can we give him a round of applause? On the cross, Jesus takes our filthiness and he wears it. And in exchange, he gives us his nice white 
jumper, his cleaning, his perfection, the perfect life that he had lived, we get that in exchange for, his, for our filthy rags. On the cross, Jesus defeats our greatest enemy. I, I'm sure many of you have been in church for a long time, but even if you hadn't, you'll all know the story of David and Goliath. In David and Goliath, we get this glimpse of what Jesus achieves for us. See, there's these two armies encamped against each other, the Philistine army and then there's the Israelite army. You have this great massive man come out from the Philistine army and he says to the Israelite army, come on then, let's settle this right now. Your best fighter against me, winner takes all. The Israelite army is in fear and trepidation. We haven't got anyone that size. What on earth are we going to do? This young lad, David, comes out. He's bringing provision for his family. And, and, he, and he says this line, which is possibly one of my favorite lines in the Bible. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who comes up against the armies of the living God? That's a cool line. Uh, and I don't know what the answer is, actually. Uh, I don't know if they give him an answer. But eventually he comes out and he says, well, I'm going to fight this if none of you else are. God is for us. And so they dress him up in the king's armor, and David's like, I'm 11, man. That's seriously not going to fit me. Uh, or probably in words to that effect, being that he's 11 and cool. And so they, um, she says, look, I'll go with what I've got. He goes down to the stream, picks out five smooth stones. He runs towards the giant, breaks into a sprint, starts swinging these stones faster and faster and faster and faster and lets it fly. The stone hits the giant in the forehead. Giant comes down, dead. David walks over to him, cuts off the giant's head, holds it up for everyone to see. The Philistine army flees. The Israelite army rejoices. What has happened is that the Israelite army has won a victory on David's behalf. The other way around. David has won a victory on the, on the Israelite's army behalf. What Jesus does on the cross is he takes on our behalf. He dies there, takes on our rubbish, our filth on our behalf, and in exchange gives us his perfection. But the gospel doesn't end there. And in fact, you don't have good news at all if it ends there, really. It's just sad. It's very kind. It's a lovely story about sacrificial love. But it doesn't give any hope for the future. And like I said, to make a fire, you need three ingredients. With the crucifixion of Jesus, it's very nice, but it doesn't mean anything without the resurrection. The hope of the gospel is not only that your sins have been forgiven, very nice as that is, it's that you have been raised to new life because of Jesus. That's the victory that Jesus wins for us. The resurrection matters. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. That's the gravity that Paul puts on the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is absolutely essential for the Christian faith. Without it, there's no forgiveness of sins. Without the resurrection, you might as well live for as many pleasurable experiences as you can possibly get before you die. And when you do die, inevitably we will, there's no hope if there is no resurrection. Nothing to be looking forward to, no hope whatsoever. If Jesus didn't raise, then his death is no more valuable to us than the many of other deaths. It just brings us no more hope for the future than the thousands, billions, trillions of deaths that have already happened. 
The resurrection matters. The good news is the tomb was empty on Easter Sunday. No one has ever found the body of Christ to prove otherwise. And in the aftermath of the resurrection, there were hundreds upon hundreds of eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Christianity continued to spread through the Roman Empire like wildfire in the midst of fierce persecution. In so much so that in 300 years, or 300 AD, the Roman Empire eventually said, you know what? We can't stop this thing. Let's legalize it. And on his deathbed, the Emperor Constantine is said to have become a Christian. Jesus' kingdom continues to grow 2,000 years later, and to an extent that they would say that a third of the world's population would confess that they are Christians. Jesus, in his Gospels, talks about this, his kingdom being a seed that grows from something very, very small and expands into the greatest and grandest tree in the field. If Jesus really did rise from the dead, then it validates every claim that he made whilst on the earth. If he really did rise from the dead, then he really is the Son of God. If he really did rise from the dead, then he really is able to offer forgiveness for sins. And if Jesus really was raised from the dead, then he is also able to give eternal life and a resurrection to you and I for everyone who calls on his name, confesses that he is Lord, as he heals and brings and bridges the gap between God and man. In Luke 5, there's this passage that I particularly enjoyed where this man is being laid down through the roof of a building. And Jesus says to the guys, he says to the guy, he commends their faith. They break through the roof, they lower this guy down, he's a cripple, and, the, and Jesus commends their faith, says, wow, your faith. And, and he says this interesting thing, he says, your sins are forgiven. And then the religious leaders who are in the room are like, whoa, 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 hang on a minute, you can't say that. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus says this in response. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, this is reading Luke 5, verse 22, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier for you to say? Uh, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. But so that you know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, he then said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose, picked up his bed, and went off glorifying God. Now there's an interesting pattern that I want us to see. Jesus offers forgiveness, people scoff, so he performs a miracle, something that only God can do. People scoff, they say, only God can offer forgiveness. What are you doing? And then, God, and then Jesus goes and does something that only God can do. On the cross, Jesus offers forgiveness. People scoff. Then he performs a miracle that only God can do. His resurrection validates his claims. Now, I'm not really a scholar, and I felt... In doing this sermon, there's two ways. One is, I guess, you list the evidence for Jesus' resurrection. And being not really scholarly minded, I didn't want to get into that. But I will say this I believe my life, knowing Him, has changed my life more dramatically than anything else I've ever tried or experienced, or anyone else I've ever met. 
And uh, it's not just me. I stand alongside billions and billions of people around the world who share this, who say they have an intimate relationship with Jesus. That's odd if he's dead. But he's not dead. He is alive. Coming back to our hub verse, our central verse for the morning. If you confess with your mouth or you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Now this morning I started off by sharing Fran's story. I used it as an illustration to say, look, healing is not only evidence for the resurrection, but something that you would expect to see if he is risen. Jesus offers salvation. He offers rescue. He offers healing for those who confess and declare that he's Lord of their lives. If you're tired of trying to succeed, if you're tired of searching for answers, if you're weary of the journey of trying to please others, to keep up with their expectations, as I said in the beginning, when we have these needs as human, our very basic human needs, to feel valued, to feel significant, to feel accepted, you can find all of those things in Jesus. Matthew 11, Jesus says this, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is not able, not only able to heal the relationship between us and God, but he promises fulfillment in your life. Our hub verse started with the words, confess with your mouth or declare with your mouth and believe in your heart. What I want us to do in closing is to read again the creed We're going to put it up on the screen now, if you could do that. But what I've done is changed it slightly. (laughs) He's changed the creed. I've I've replaced we with I. And if you are, if this is making sense to you at all, if, if you want to know this relationship with the one who is able to heal, with the one who's able to fulfill, then... Why don't we say aloud together? We're going to read through the creed together. And if it's your first time saying this, then I would encourage you, go for it. Uh, And if it's the hundredth time, let's again allow Jesus to be Lord and confess that he is Lord. We're going to read this together, shall we? I believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God of God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For me and for my salvation he came down from heaven by the power of his Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For my sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end.
Amen. Amen. I'm going to close and invite the band to come up.